when you hear the worst kind of news. I mean, terrible news. Like news that a dear friend has just been killed and killed unjustly. Maybe it was at the hands of a drunk driver. Would you be easy to talk to? Would you want to be around a whole bunch of people? Would you go out of your way to help somebody as you're grieving through that? That's the situation Jesus was in at the beginning of the gospel reading. Jesus just found out that his dear friend and cousin John the Baptist was killed, brutally murdered by having his head cut off and served on a platter so that a drunk king could make his dinner guests happy. That's what Jesus just heard about. When we come and see him here at the beginning of this reading. And just when he wanted as true man to go escape, take time away to deal with the grief, to pray to his father, there they were. Thousands of people there to see him who had rushed around the lake to see him. And now see how Jesus reacts. When Jesus heard what had happened, that John had been killed, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. Jesus, grieving and exhausted, thought not of his own pain or suffering, but he had compassion on them. He looked to their pain, their needs. He saw a people who were also suffering from the aches and pains of a broken world, a people with sick loved ones, people who were sick themselves, or as Mark tells us in his gospel, who were like sheep without a shepherd. So he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Can you picture it? Jesus walking through this throng of people, everyone trying to, to just see him, get a glimpse of him, ask him if he'd heal them, heal their loved ones who are suffering. And Jesus maybe said, bring them here to me. And then they watched a miracle healing right before their eyes. Jesus had compassion on them. That's how deep our Savior's compassion is, and so far beyond our own. We so often use our grief as an excuse to, to belittle others, much less, uh, you know, want to be near anybody, or even more so, not seek out ways that we could help somebody when we're going through that. But that's what Jesus did. And not only did he did he do this? But he was exhausted after all his teaching and traveling and now this bad news. And yet he went and had compassion. It's easy to have compassion when you're happy and well-rested and joyful, but it's a whole nother when you're in deep grief over the loss of a loved one. Jesus' compassion goes so far beyond our own. 
But when you look at Jesus' compassion here, don't just look at it as some example or standard that we should follow. Because it's much more than that. We see in Jesus here our substitute, our perfect substitute in life. His compassion for all the times our compassion has failed. For all the times we were short with someone in our grief, Jesus went and healed and had compassion on all these people while he suffered in his grief. Our Lord Jesus consistently did the hardest good, the good that we could never do for our sake. And here Jesus is just simply at it again. And his compassion was endless. And his compassion didn't end with the healings. We hear from the other gospel accounts of this miracle that Jesus went on to teach them many things. You could picture it again, right? As Jesus is healing all these people, you can probably hear sounds of joy among the crowd as the lame are walking and jumping and people who were formerly just sick are now healthy and well. And others saw this. And so Jesus is showing them that he's more than some prophet or teacher. He's much bigger than that. And now the stage is perfectly set to give them what really matters. Healing for their souls. His teaching. His good news. And so he gives it to them. It's a beautiful day. But all beautiful days must eventually come to an end. And so you see his disciples, they're, they're looking around and they say, uh, uh, Jesus, have you, have you looked at the sun lately? Because we kind of have a big problem here. We've got thousands of people and hours have gone by. This is a remote place. They're going to go hungry. Jesus, you, you need to send them away so they can get something to eat because that sun isn't getting any higher. Oh, how human of them. How human of the disciples to forget who Jesus is, to talk to God as if he's not aware of the situation, as if he doesn't already know the circumstance. But isn't that what we often do when we're faced with trouble and conflict? We look at everything we can see or what we know, and we conclude that there's only one good source or one good course of action that we should do. But that's human of us. What is it about trouble and conflict that makes us look so much at what we have or what maybe what we don't have to fix it rather than what he can do? And so Jesus goes, turns to them. He says to them, and this must have been shocking, you give them something to eat. Us? Jesus, you want us to give them something to eat. Us 12 and those thousands. Jesus, your math must be a little off here. There are over 5,000 people out there and we have a boy's lunch. How could we give these people something to eat? But it's almost as if Jesus saying this to them, once, he wants them to realize something. To notice that they're missing something right before them. Had they forgotten the miracles? The healings they just saw? The storm stopping? The wedding at Cana where he literally miraculously made wine? Why in their trouble were they forgetting? 
Why in this conflict, this, this ending day, were they forgetting who stood before them and what Christ can do? When we look at ourselves and what we have to offer, we often conclude a lot like the disciples did. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish. Or maybe more literally translated, they said, we don't have anything except five loaves and two fish. That's it, Jesus. What can be done with so little? How could this go so far for so many? Disciples' negativity has kind of run through this whole day. Did you notice that? From the start, they're saying, Jesus, the only option is to send them away. This food won't work for all these people. It won't go far enough. But see how Jesus doesn't say, hmm, you're right. Yeah, that, that's not very impressive. That, that's puny. I, I can't work with that. No. Jesus says, bring them here to me. And see what I can do with them. What you think is so small, what you think is so insignificant, what you think isn't enough, bring them here to me. And the disciples saw what he could do. We read, And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about five thousand men, besides women and children. Picture it again. The disciples standing there, each one of them with their own basket of leftovers. After they had just been doubting Jesus, after they just said that this wasn't enough for him to provide for these people. And now there they were with these baskets having to look to Jesus. But Jesus did what he always does. He provides for his people, often in the most unexpected and unanticipated ways. Often with people and things that may seem to us so insignificant or unimportant. He provides for you and through you and through what you give to him. So let's not think as we are often tempted to, as the disciples did, that I don't have anything to give. What I have is too small, Jesus. You you can't work with this. I'm just one person. What kind of an impact can I have? No, Jesus says... Bring it here to me. I can't tell someone about my faith. I can't canvas. I I, I can't try to speak to people about God. I I might mess up. I might say something wrong. I'm definitely not going to say anything important. God can't use that. Bring it here to me, Jesus says. It's just handing out candy at the Christmas parade. It's just a, it's just a booth at the fall festival. Why, why would I need to run that? What, what good does that accomplish for the church? Bring it here to me, Jesus says. Or maybe you just 
made a snow cone with a smile yesterday at the Abiding Grace booth at the family festival, you might think, that's not much. What can that do? Jesus says, bring it here to me. See what I can do. Because I'm telling you, just about that very thing is exactly what Jesus used to bring some of the people sitting here today in this church here to hear his word. That's what our compassionate God does. This is how he is. Not only does he provide for us in the most unexpected ways, but he invites us to be a part of it. Part of it. He invites us to bring what we have and then to watch as he lets it be a blessing to others and to so many. To bring what we might think is inadequate. To bring what we have even when mixed with doubt. No matter how small we think our gift is or how unimportant our skill or impact is, bring them here to me, Jesus says. Notice how Matthew doesn't even need to describe the reaction to the feeding of the 5,000 because it's so easy to imagine the shock, the awe at the fact that this little thing that was brought to Jesus was used to feed and provide for so many. That's what Jesus does with the little that we bring to him. So, those things that are causing you grief, And pain, your doubts, when it feels like no one's listening. The first part of our text reminds us that Jesus has been there. Jesus understands. Bring them here to me, he says. And see how his compassion is never ending. Or that thing that you've failed at again And again, that skill or gift that you have that you just don't think could really be of any benefit, Jesus says, bring it here to me and see what I can do. My prayer for all of you at Abiding Grace going forward is that you keep bringing it to Jesus. Keep bringing your joys, your pains, your talents, your gifts, yourself. Because that's what Jesus wants. He invites you to bring it all to him and to see what he can do. And you're bringing it to someone who knows what it's like to feel insignificant Christ was seen as nothing more than some criminal to be done away with when he came to save those people. But he did it to make the insignificant significant, to make the sinners saints. He did it to perfect and multiply what you bring to him and to do amazing things. So bring it here to him. Bring it here to me, Jesus says. My prayer is that not one of you think that what you can bring to this body, to this family of believers, is unimportant, unneeded, or unnoticed. Because it's not. We heard in our second reading that Christ chose you 
Christ wants you, and Christ will use what you bring. I can attest to it. You don't even realize how much just a smile in the gathering space, a firm handshake, a hug, a note, the food you brought me, just the friendliness, how much that meant to me, especially in difficult moments that you maybe didn't even know I was in. Christ was using what you brought him to provide for me. And I'm so thankful. And I know, I know there are others who need that same thing, who need what you bring to Jesus so that he can bless them through it. So go on. Bring it to Christ. Until that day when by God's grace we'll all hear Christ say, that one, him, her, that one that's felt the pain and and suffering of this world, That one who feels so insignificant at times, who doesn't think they have anything to give, that one, they're mine. Bring them here to me. In Christ, amen. Now may the peace of God that passes all understanding guard your hearts in the true faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.